You are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samaya Keynes, the U.S. Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. This week, we are going to talk about South Korea's trade surplus with the United States. And we're going to speak with Katie Russ. Katie was at the Council of Economic Advisors in the Obama administration from 2015 to 2016, and she's now an associate professor of economics at the University of California, Davis. Katie, hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us. Okay, so we're going to talk about your paper with Deborah Swenson, who is also at the University of California, Davis. Just for listeners, obviously, Katie, you know, uh, but the paper came out in February of this year, uh, and it's called Trade Diversion and Trade Deficits, The Case of the Korea-U.S. Free Trade Agreement. So first question, why did you choose this topic? In 2014, 2015, a lot of people started expressing concern that the U.S. trade deficit with South Korea was expanding pretty rapidly. Actually, South Korea's overall current account surplus hit a high, temporary high anyway, in 2015. So this was part of a broader picture. But people were pointing to the Korea-U.S. free trade agreement and saying, hey, maybe it was the trade agreement that did this, even though the deficit had been widening before that. So When I was staffing the Council of Economic Advisors in 2015-2016, I was on the team that was providing technical support for the push for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And people were looking at this widening trade deficit with South Korea and saying, hey, here's an example of a recent free trade agreement in Asia, and look what's happening. We seem to be getting killed on trade with this Asian country. Doesn't that mean that TPP is a bad idea? I had a thought that Just from a cursory look, I was looking at the products where it seemed like U.S. imports increased a lot from South Korea after chorus went into effect. And it just seemed, just from eyeballing things, that it corresponded with a drop in U.S. imports from other countries. So I often didn't see any change in our, our aggregate net exports by certain goods categories that seemed to be driving a lot of the increase in our imports from South Korea. So you looked at this bilateral trade deficit that was growing between the U.S. and South Korea. So in your paper, looking at this in more detail, what was the precise question you were trying to answer? We wanted to see whether our new trade relationship with South Korea had any relationship to changes in trade patterns with other countries that might have some implications for the overall U.S. trade deficit as well as the bilateral U.S. trade deficit with South Korea. So let's take a step back and look at the world right at the time of this trade agreement going into force. So the chorus goes into effect in 2012. What did this trade deal actually do between the U.S. and South Korea? It reduced tariffs to zero on many products. For instance, on passenger cars, we had a tariff of 2.5% on imports coming from South Korea. That went to zero. Uh, South Korea's tariffs on U.S., goods going into South Korea were actually a lot higher on average. So they were about 12% on average. So they actually ended up dropping their tariffs considerably more relative to what we did. But then this is one of the puzzles, right? Because their tariffs were so much higher, they're cutting theirs to zero. You sort of would have expected a bigger U.S. export response to all of this. U.S. exports actually did increase as a share 
of all imports coming into South Korea. So our market share in terms of South Korean imports actually rose in the years after the agreement from 8% to 10% for goods. And then from services, I think it was 18% to 20%. So it did rise. It's just that South Korea was slowing during a good bit of this period after the agreement went into force. And so overall, it just didn't have that strong demand like our recovering economy did. So what exactly happened to trade around 2012 when this deal was implemented? Basically, our bilateral trade deficit with South Korea doubled between 2011 and 2014, and it widened a bit more by 2015. And what kinds of products were driving this? We're importing a lot of cars. So imports of cars from South Korea rose about 80 percent between 2012 and 2017, for instance. I don't think this was... A special thing about Chorus, U.S. imports of cars were increasing from the rest of the world as well. And the share of South Korean cars in U.S. imports of cars did not rise above historical levels at all. It's just that our recovering economy drove a lot more auto imports. We also began importing a lot more electronics, machinery, pharmaceuticals, so a variety of products. Okay, so that's what was going on at this period of time. Let's talk about your paper. So what exactly does it do? Our paper takes all the categories where the U.S. dropped its tariffs with South Korea and tries to see if our imports from other countries dropped in those same categories, which would signal that some of these imports shifted over to South Korean suppliers from other countries. We call this trade diversion. So what your paper is trying to do is to work out if there was trade diversion. So imports might have risen from South Korea, but maybe those imports are being diverted from other countries. And then I suppose a concern might be that if you see imports rising from South Korea and perhaps falling from other places, then that might have happened even without the trade deal. So maybe the tariffs were cut in sectors where those shifts were happening anyway, and that's why you wanted to do the trade deal. How do you address that concern? We use a control country. We look at U.S. imports from South Korea relative to Canadian or Australian imports from South Korea to make sure that we're controlling for these types of industry shifts or maybe things that are happening in the global economy. Why did you choose Canada? Canada is another G7 country. It's very close to us distance-wise, and we thought of it as a place with uh, domestic demand that would take on very similar composition to that that we would see in the United States. Okay, so Canadians are a lot like Americans, at least in a trade control group sense. So what do you find? So we find that U.S. imports from countries other than South Korea fell in total by about the same amount that the U.S. bilateral trade deficit with South Korea widened between 2011 and 2014. So it sounds like essentially there was no net effect of this trade deal on the relative balance of trade between these two countries. But is that what you would expect, given what you were saying earlier about how the growth rates of the two countries were changing and therefore one would expect their balances to be changing? So this finding I'm telling you about with regard to tariffs, that's just the tariff-specific effect. There are a lot of other things that are driving trade flows between countries, driving even this bilateral trade relationship with the U.S. and South Korea, our trade relationships with other individual trading partners. We have 
fixed effects in our analysis that represent these macro effects. And they're actually a lot bigger than the tariff effects, which is comforting in a way. I mean, you we think as international economists that savings minus investment drives the current account deficit and therefore, you know, it's going to be a big factor in driving trade imbalances as well in the aggregate. So we're not claiming that these tariff changes explain everything that's going on with the U.S. trade deficit or even with the bilateral trade deficit with South Korea. What we're pointing out is that, yeah, in this case, we do see an increase in U.S. imports from South Korea. It's bigger than the boost in U.S. exports to South Korea. We see a widening of the trade deficit. But a lot of this is actually just trade diverted from other countries. It's not an absolute widening of some kind of imbalance overall because of the tariffs. And to your point about the tariffs, even before the Chorus Agreement, I think the average U.S. tariff on stuff coming in from South Korea was only about 3%. So these cuts really weren't that huge from the U.S. side. Okay, can you tell us a little bit about the effects on other countries? So was there a lot of variation or were that basically imports from all these other countries being reduced by the same amount? There was quite a bit of variation. Most of the $13 billion in this diverted trade that we found in our computations, so about half of it came from China. China was overall the most affected country from the implementation of Chorus. Some other countries in Asia were also affected, so Japan, Vietnam, Indonesia, India. But outside of Asia, it was interesting because principally our other free trade agreement partners seem to take the hit. In particular, Mexico and the Central American Free Trade Agreement countries, so CAFTA, DR. And so let's talk about that a little bit more. Did that surprise you? And if so, why is that result particularly important? So as geeky trade economists, that was really interesting to us because when there's some bilateral trade agreement, We expect a little bit of inefficiency to result in that you might be, through a special tariff preference, diverting trade away from more efficient producers or lower cost producers in other countries. So if you're keeping imports out from the most efficient producers just because you're putting a higher tariff on those than you are from goods coming from South Korea, then that's an inefficiency that would come from this trade diversion. The fact about a fifth of this trade diversion came from our other free trade agreement partners means that it may actually have been correcting some degree of inefficiency that might have arisen from other regional or bilateral trade agreements. Right. So South Korea essentially ended up taking market share in sectors where the Mexicans had had an unfair advantage beforehand because they had this trade deal. Was the result different by product? Were some products more heavily affected than others? We saw especially heavy impacts on apparel, footwear and electronics, mainly consumer goods. We saw a lot less of an effect on intermediate goods. So we guessed that this is probably due to some costs involved in shifting supply chains, that you'd have to either have a big change in tariff preference to actually compel companies to want to shift their supply chains, or because there are some kinds of fixed costs or technological hangups that it just takes time. There's going to be more of a lag for intermediate goods, and that went outside the bounds of our sample. And so it could be that these supply chain effects will show up. It's just you're looking at a relatively short period of time here, and it didn't seem to be so in the years that you were capturing. Absolutely. 
So just now stepping back and thinking about what all of this means for the way that we think about trade deals and and trade deficits, what's the message from this paper of the right way to do it? This paper gives support to the idea that trade deals like through the tariff don't directly seem to have a big impact on the aggregate trade deficit, that a lot of what we see in changes in bilateral deficits after a trade deal may be linked to trade diversion, that it's mainly the macro fundamentals that are probably going to be driving the U.S. aggregate trade deficit, that Chorus did not seem to add through its tariff changes to the U.S. trade deficit. This provides support for a really common assumption in trade models that basically aggregate trade deficit isn't going to change based on changes in tariffs, that it's really more about macro fundamentals. I think I already know the answer to this, but uh, have you been following the renegotiation of Chorus, which, which happened last year? And if so, do you think that the Trump administration will get what it wants with this new deal in terms of reducing the bilateral trade deficit? Well, you guys did a tremendous episode on it that I had my undergrads listen to. So, yeah, I've been following the renegotiation and there were some tweaks to the agreement, delaying Uh, taking off the 25% tariff on light trucks and a few other things. In terms of this goal of reducing the bilateral trade deficit, I mean, the trade deficit that the U.S. has with South Korea has narrowed, but it's narrowed since 2015. So it doesn't seem to be directly related or not with this particular renegotiation. I mean, South Korea had a pretty big current account surplus in 2015. The IMF in their external sector report sort of got on them a little bit about that. I think they're re-evaluating, you know, rebalancing toward consumption, maybe loosening up fiscally, these kinds of things. So to the degree that their trade surplus is falling, I think there are a lot of things going on that probably don't have a lot to do with Chorus. Katie, thank you very much. Oh, thanks to you. This is This has been a pleasure. That is all for Trade Talks. A huge thank you to Katie Russ, Associate Professor of Economics at the University of California, Davis. Be sure to check out her research paper with Deborah Swenson called Trade Diversion and Trade Deficits, The Case of the Korea-US Free Trade Agreement. And we'll be sure to post it on the episode page at our website. That's www.tradetalkspodcast.com. And thanks also to Colin Warren, who handles our audio. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because when it comes to co-authors or co-hosts, two is better than one. That, that, we haven't had that one yet. That's, that's not bad. Yeah. And we will be sure to get Deborah in for a future episode.